It's 10 o'clock and joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our bird friend, Mr. Al Beck. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are all having an exquisite day. I know you all have your shopping all done. So <laughs> you can just sit back with your feet up yeah. and watch uh, those other poor folks scurry about <laughs> trying to find that last perfect item. And, oh, I remember being a, a, a young father uh, going out to try to find those there were certain toys that were just always so popular, and of course every kid wanted them, and uh, they've made so many movies of that sort of thing, but it was true, going from store to store, and the rumors would get out that this store had it, and uh, oh, you know, it was, it, looking back, it was fun. At the time, it was the exact opposite of fun. It was just a, a dreadful thing for a, for a while there, but it all turned out pretty well. Well, you know, everybody does, I was going to say, everybody does everything online now, so you don't get that same sense of urgency that you have to be at the store at 4 a.m. to get that special thing. So it's it's really a lot different now. And so kids these days won't know what it's like to, to get up at 5 a.m. to get your special toy or, or gadget or whatever it is. So it's really a lot different nowadays. My wife and I, uh, my wife said she needed just one thing, which is, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, it that just uh, sends chills up and down my spine as if they're in a NASCAR race. <laughs> and uh, so we were on the road, and uh, we try to do our shopping local here, but she, she, there was one thing she couldn't find, so she said we should stop at this. It was a, a big box store, and oh my goodness, it was a Saturday in uh, December and a beautiful day, and the traffic in the parking lot was insane. And I thought once I got parked, it couldn't get any worse. And then I got in the store, and oh, the no. traffic there was even worse than in the parking lot. So I, uh, I'm i not proud of this. We were waiting in line, and I couldn't see the cash registers or anything. We were so far back in the store. I, I felt like sp- I didn't feel like spiders were crawling on me because I like spiders. I just, oh, it was just, I didn't want to be there anymore. And my wife sensed my uh, discomfort and she said, honey, if you want to, you know, go on and go walking or something, it'll be a little while. And I said, but we need to be out of here by Christmas. And she said, no, no, you, you go ahead. And I felt really guilty about deserting her, but, you know, I've gotten over it. So I was happy just to be free of that. And I I heard a lot of husbands and uh, teenagers uh, complaining in one way or another as I walked through. They just weren't happy to be there either, I guess. Uh, thanks to everybody at Good Samaritan. It was fun uh, sharing some Christmas stories with you. And uh, all, thanks to all the good folks at stop and just say hi uh, when I'm ringing bells for the Salvation Army. And a little tip, remember folks, you're always, you know, you're going to end up with Christmas cards from somebody that you did not send one and it's just kind of last minute and you've probably run out of Christmas cards. If you cross out someone else's name and write yours (laughs) in its place on last year's Christmas card, that makes it handmade. So you could do that, and people. We really appreciate getting those that people do that. I uh, keep looking at everything. Uh, Yogi Berra said. Uh, Yogi Berra said a lot of things he didn't say, but I believe he really did say you can observe a lot just by 
watching. And I'm surrounded by wonder this morning. I watched a chickadee enter a cavity in a dead tree, life and death, death and life, dead tree bringing life to this chickadee. And on a chilly night, a chickadee roosts in a cavity or dense vegetation, and it caches food. So it's got food out there that can eat when the weather gets severe. And being a bird is hard work. But a chickadee carries a jauntiness with it and a joy of being among the living. Some of the wind-rustled leaves had become cardinal wannabes. They're still red, and they flew past me as I filled the feeders where the chickadees and cardinals are valued customers. And I want them to turn the feed into feathers and flights. So uh, it's just uh, fun being outside in the winter. Uh, my wife and I were in with a huge amount of people on Sunday, and the big uh, discussion was, will we have a brown Christmas? Mm. And it uh, looks like we've got a, yeah. uh, a shot at that anyway. And everybody's saying, do you remember the last brown Christmas? And I did not really. I don't know why I would forget that, but was it 35 or 6 years ago, they claim, is when it was. Whoa. so. That Maybe far, we'll... Uh, that far back, really? Wow, that's a long time ago. That was the uh, consensus at all these tables of infinite knowledge on Sunday. <laughs> so there was a, a lot of folks that, you know, between us, we knew everything, if you just went around. and uh, But that's what everybody was saying, and I think they said... Paul Douglas, the weather fella, had mm-hmm. told him that on uh, okay. some kind of report. So uh, I'm going to go by that till I, I hear different. Uh, you sent along a uh, card from John from New Ulm, a Christmas postcard. And uh, John said he was a person of nonsense <laughs> and a dash of wisdom. So I think that, John, that's probably what we all are. And uh, I mentioned last week that a nice gift would be like a travel mug mm-hmm. that would let you know when you forgot it somewhere because <laughs> we've all done that we've yep. been at a meeting we get in a car we're half the way home <laughs> and we reach down for that mug and we say oh no i better go back because i left mine at a car dealership one time Uh-oh. <laughs> and i didn't go back to a couple days later and by then they donated it to the salvation army oh. and uh, uh so i couldn't bellyache about it you know I, the best i could do would be go to the salvation army store and try to buy it back <laughs> but I, I didn't didn't do that so but john says um you know you could tie a string on the mug and the other end on my pinky finger aha uh-huh. or or buy a new motion detector mug when the distance between me and my mug would be more than 10 feet, the mug will beep four times and say, hey, don't forget me. <laughs> and I, I think that's a great idea. I'm, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that there's not a mug out there that's hooked up to your your watch or your yeah. cell phone or something that if you get like a mile away, it says... Have you forgotten me already? John, come back, John, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, And I think they'd be well worth it. Do you know there are, says, there are tabs that you can get and put in things if you, because I had some plants stolen here at the university, so somebody suggested I put these little tags or tabs in the, the dirt, and then if somebody left, walked out with them, they've got a tracer, so you could trace wherever that was, and the person, if they didn't know it was in the dirt, then you could find out who took your plant. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I spoke at a farm show, and when I came in, uh, there was a nice young woman that handed me a little... Uh, a little plastic grain bin kind of thing. It looks just like the big shiny ones we see here. And I said, hey, cool. So I gave my talk and everything, and everything went well, and we ate. And then I was leaving, and as I went out, the, as the guy at the door says, uh, you can't have that. Uh, that's got it. So I wonder if he had something on mm. there beeping. So I tried to explain that I didn't take it. Somebody gave it to me, and he's just nodding the whole time and with his hand out and says, hand it over, pal. So I'm on somebody's list there. But it was nice. I was going to give it to my wife for Christmas because um, <laughs> you, you you like things, you know, that are a surprise. Uh, Tim Scott says, hi, Al. I have two distinct feeder areas. I have six to eight feeder stations plus a ground in each area. I spread white millet only on the ground areas. I put fine sunflower chips in the finch feeders. These birds prefer sunflower chips to Niger thistle. I have a flock of 20 to 60 pine siskins and goldfinch that every day come, and as many as 20-plus squirrels per day. And when they all show up, it's a flock. I'm guessing including the squirrels at 20-plus. I would assume you see a lot of these, too. I I see... Uh, I saw the first pine siskins here, Tim, in November, and I, I have a couple of all that's here now. I have a flock of goldfinches that uh, move through every day, so it's nice to see them. And I put out white millet, too, on ground. I have a ground feeder. It's uh, kind of a platform feeder that's on the ground. And uh, the juncos really like it, and I have a number of white-throated sparrows here that come and eat that millet. And again, there's a big difference between millet and milo. Milo is the one that looks like BBs that you'd put in your, your air rifle. And I don't have anything here that eats those. But millet, a lot of our native sparrows, of which juncos are one species, they will like that. So, Tim, great to hear from you. Brad Baldwin a friend who runs the Christmas bird count in Martin County, Fairmont. He had a snow goose, and a snow goose, it was seen a little early. So that was a, a really great bird, green-winged teal, wood duck, and a cooper's hawk, which uh, in general was seen a little bit late. So those were uh, four of four of the I want to say most impressive bird, but boy, that is maybe surprising bird because they're certainly not more impressive than a chickadee. And a listener says, Al, what is the mortality rate for nestling songbirds? And oh gosh, I you know I've seen various references saying for typical passerines or perching birds, juvenile mortality in the nest is around fifty percent. But I uh, I quickly one day tried to find a study showing that, and I found some studies about, oh, maybe robins or bluebirds, so individual species, but I couldn't find anything that would classify all songbirds or count all songbirds. So it wouldn't surprise me that it's around 50% because if any of us have had a robin nest and watched them, you know that very often the baby robins do not fledge. Something gets them, something happens to them, the nest is destroyed. 
So I think 50% would probably be right in the ballpark. So it's uh, not easy being a bird out there. Uh, a listener sent a text said, Why do vultures circle dying animals? Ah, uh, the dreaded circle of death <laughs> seen often in cowboy movies and jungle films. Uh, turkey vultures don't circle dying animals. I know we see them circling. We say, oh, something is dead there. They could be investigating possible prey, so flying down to sea. And sometimes if a vulture will come down, uh, say there's a dead deer, and the vulture's down there feeding on this, other ones will circle a little couple of times to, before they come down. I don't know if they're checking if the coast is clear. Some scientists believe they will circle once prey has been instigated or eating prey has been instigated to let other vultures know that something's going on here, especially if it's a large animal like a deer where they need to call in all the support vultures that they can. But in general, turkey vultures do not circle dying animals waiting for them to go onto the menu. They ride thermals to travel and to find food, but again, they do investigate possible prey. So sometimes they can be out there circling, but in most cases, it'll be the animal is dead and they're getting ready to go down. And they aren't good with animals that are not dead. So despite Matt Dillon of Gunsmoke crawling across the desert with parched lips, the desert didn't have parched lips, uh, Matt did, that uh, vultures were circling overhead and making the sound of red-tailed hawks, uh, they weren't looking for Matt at all. Uh, just, and Matt always made it. He always got shot through that same shoulder. I think he was shot 21 times through the same shoulder. So there must have been just a gigantic hole that you could have driven a uh, Peterbilt tractor trailer rig through there. But uh, <laughs> So I love seeing vultures, and again, we do not see them now. I wish I would love to see them all year long. I just think they do. They do such good work there in the service industry, cleaning up all that stuff off our highways and byways that none of us want to do, and they're more than happy to do it. But it just gets too cold here for them, and everything freezes, and it just makes their work really hard and makes it hard because they're not meant. Their bill isn't meant to tear things apart, and they don't have real talents. So they have more just toes than talents. So they, they don't do well here. And, and we miss them, or at least I do. I appreciate, I'm a big fan. I was going to say, I appreciate them that they, they are environmentally conscious and like to clean up, you know, and not leave stuff laying around. So that's always a, appreciated. It is. They're just, uh, and, you know, what do we pay them? We, I guess we do pay them. We go out and hit the raccoon on the road or something and feed them, but... They work for a minimum wage, I would say. I had a, uh, was ringing bells. Uh, a little boy stopped me, put money in the kettle, and he said, Mr. Bat, 
I said, oh, oh here <laughs> it comes. He said, are zebras white with black stripes or black with white stripes? Ooh. And I told him all about the zebras I saw regularly around Heartland, and his <laughs> mom was laughing, and he was his eyes were right. I said, no, we really don't have zebras around Heartland. I don't, I don't think we ever had. I can't say for sure, but I don't. Uh, they are black with white stripes, oh. and beneath the fur, zebras have black skin. So if we if we had a zebra here in Heartland and we took it in, we shaved it, took it to the the. Uh, well, we don't have a barber shop here anymore. We'd have to take them to another town that has a barber shop or beauty shop, and a shaved zebra would be all black. So they are black with white stripes. Although they seem to kind of look the other way, don't they? When you look at them, sometimes you think, oh, it's a white animal with black stripes. So he was, I think I really impressed him, especially about the part about zebras being in Heartland. So he was he was a, a nice kid, and uh, it's, it's fun. You know, anytime you spend time with kids, you learn a lot of things. You know, it's the just, poor kid will probably go to school, and the teacher will be talking about animals, oh, and he'll probably yeah. say something, and he says... And he, yeah. she'll say, no, Timmy, there there are no zebras. <laughs> but Al Bat said there were, so I know it's true. Yeah. So, you know, you may yeah. get that poor kid a failing grade or something. Oh, yeah, the teacher will probably give me a failing grade. Well, I hope his <laughs> mom, because uh, I told him, I said, no, there aren't any here. So I hope his mom Set him straight. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His mom did ask, she said, we have um, house sparrows. She said, they're just everywhere. They live on a farm. And she said, what do they eat? And when I was growing up, they were called English sparrows for the most part. Um, House sparrows, less so. And they order from an expanded menu. Uh, They'll eat mostly grains and seeds, livestock feed, and discarded food. But they happily visit bird feeders. They'll chow down on millet and sunflower seeds. And during the breeding season, house sparrows eat insects and feed them to their young. Uh, They can catch insects in the air, on the ground. They stalk lawnmowers and visit lights at dusk. I watch them feeding on insects cooked on grills and radiators of automobiles. And this this mother said that um, they had, the neighbors had a uh, bug zapper. Hmm. And here's where my wife would say, oh, don't get Al started on bug zappers. <laughs> but they had a bug zapper, and that the house sparrows would fly over there and they had a picnic table under the bug zapper, which there's a lot of picnic tables under bug zappers, so all the insects fall on the table. So the house sparrows were eating those. They were eating cooked insects from the bug zapper. So they had figured that out. <laughs> um, I watched... A house sparrow, and I have to dig back through my notes. It was either December 14th or 15th one year. I watched them building nests, and it was uh, maybe it was the last time we had an open, open, or possibly an open Christmas, and maybe we had one that year. So that they were out there and just saying, man, it is so warm and nice. I think we should start nesting again. So they are uh, neat little guys. I watch them in going into big trucks in the summertime, those huge grills, and flying in there and just plucking those grilled insects off the radiator. And it's fun to watch them. <clears throat> I watched a bunch of them go under a, uh, 
was a minivan of some kind, and a it looked like a Cooper's Hawk. It was a pretty big hawk to be chasing little house sparrows, but chased them under there. And I, I don't imagine it got any of them because I saw a whole bunch of them fly one direction and the hawk came out and flew the other direction. So it was, but uh, they have that story to tell about how a minivan saved their lives. <laughs> so not everybody has that story. Uh, Al, you talked about barfing blue jays. What was that about? It's a uh, band name. The Barfing Blue Jays, they're one of my favorites. They play sort of a, I don't know, a punk polka kind of thing. It's a, I, I, it's hard to explain, but no, I, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't say it's not a band name. It might be. The late Lincoln Brower studied monarch butterflies for, oh, I want to say six decades. He was a biology professor at a college name that I can remember, Sweet Briar College. It sounds like uh, they'd be the fighting pipes or something, smoking pipes made from Sweet Briar. But Sweet Briar College is uh, in Virginia somewhere. I couldn't tell you where. But he'd taken a photograph of a barfing blue jay, which had suffered a distasteful experience dining on a monarch. And why did it up, Chuck? Because monarchs feed on milkweeds and plants contain, these are plants that contain chemicals that uh, insects absorb. And while the toxins don't harm the butterflies, they taste bitter and can cause vomiting in birds that chow on monarchs. So Lincoln always said that when somebody would say, well, do blue jays eat monarchs? And he said, yes, they do, but only once. So we've, uh, I guess uh, every kid has had that experience where, you know, we can't like every food in the world. And sometimes there's something in us, we eat something, and boy, it just, it doesn't set well. And I guess it's maybe the same with a kid, because my mom was like your mom. Just try it. How do you know you won't like it? Just try it. Well, in a lot of cases, I'd already made up my mind I wasn't going to like it, no matter if it was the best thing on earth. But occasionally, she would get me with that, and I'd say, this is this is pretty good. But uh, Blue Jay is the same kind of way they're learning. I put out... Uh, my wife and I sat here. I put out some peanuts yesterday for blue jays, and I put them in a different feeder than I'd ever put them in before. You would have thought it was some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, predator had arrived in the area. They would fly up close to it, but they didn't dare land on it. It took them, I would guess, an hour and a half before one of them finally figured out, well, hey, they're just peanuts in there. <laughs> Blue jays, like most birds, will notice anything different in their territory, which is my yard. Mm-hmm. I call it my yard, but it's their territory. And they will be real cautious, and that's how they survive. But finally, one just flies in, plucks a peanut, flies away somewhere, and then the floodgates were open. Blue Jay after Blue Jay flew in, just bam, grabbed it, and away they went. So it took that one brave Blue Jay to figure it out. Otherwise, they were flying in, they'd apply the brakes, 
fly up in the air, go sit in a tree and think things over and talk it over, say, I think that's safe, what should we do, should we try it again? Well, let's have Mikey try it, see if he can do it. And finally one of them just flew in there and said, well, this is how you do it, gang. Well, do they call their friends? Like, do they make a noise to call everybody and say, hey, there's good stuff here? Or how do the others know that there's something good? They kind of, they flock up, so they're kind of, generally they're together anyway at this time of year, but I would have no doubt they make a call, too, and just make a sound saying, I got something here, but I don't really know what it is. It looks like those peanut things that we really like, but it's in a different contraption here, and I don't know, it might be a trap, might be a trap, so maybe we should... uh, Proceed with extreme caution, I think, is what they'd be passing along. But it is so much fun. It's worth buying a bag of peanuts just to watch Blue Jays. They're just, they, they bring such beauty to this one. This happens to be right on the window. So they bring such beauty right into my world here, and I can look at them. And they have little different personalities, of course, and birds certainly have personalities. I raised chickens for 100 years, and chickens had personalities. They were all a little bit different, and blue jays are so smart, and that's why they're reason for their extra caution. Say, Al, since you're talking about birds and food, I have a note from Jennifer and her little daughter, Lily. And this is about what you're talking about. She says, hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about beak shapes and food. I've been thinking about Darwin's finches and how beak shape determines diet. Let's say that a bird with a beak shape that makes it a seed eater gets moved to an area with no seeds. If everything else were the same, temperature, etc., would that bird really not be able to adapt and eat something else? Would it even try or would it notice a lack of seeds and accept its imminent demise? Thank you, Jennifer and Lily. Jennifer, what a great question. And yeah, the Darwin's finches certainly described it well. And we see it even if uh, you travel a little bit and you go to places where they have great numbers of, say you go to Costa Rica or somewhere where they have so many, so many hummingbirds, you'll notice the difference in their bills that they nectar on different kinds of flowers. They just eat different things, and their bills are adapted to do that. So some of those, if that flower went away, it would not be a good result. Would uh, If, a say, a goldfinch went somewhere where there were no seeds, they're, uh, they're a seed eater here. They're pretty much a vegetarian. If they eat an insect, it's by accident. If they went somewhere where there's no seeds, would they be able to adapt? I would have to say I think most of them would uh, succumb. But maybe, maybe there'd be a couple out there, just like Darwin's finches. Maybe there'd be a couple of them out there said, you know what, these box elder bugs are really good, or whatever they're eating, and start feeding on insects. And maybe they'd uh, continue then, <coughs> excuse me, in a different a different goldfinch, a different kind of goldfinch, one that would be eating insects, and that would be over a long period of time. But maybe it would happen, Jennifer. I, uh, it's really interesting to think about, and thanks for bringing that up. Uh, Darwin's finches are just, um, it's such a fascinating story to me. And it's, uh, you know, if, if we took hawks somewhere or, they, or there was nothing to eat other than seeds, 
would they just uh, feed on one another till there was only one left? I, you know, they would probably starve to death, or they would just keep flying somewhere. A lot of birds would probably just keep searching and flying, trying to find uh, food in another place. So yeah, it would not be good. It would not be good at all. We're uh, lucky being an omnivore in that we can we can find food usually. Sometimes we have to resort to making it ourselves, but we can find food out there of one kind or another. And we do have a lot of birds that are omnivores. The one I'm looking out the window staring right at me here is a, an American crow. And they are the omnivores, omnivore. They will eat pretty much anything. Uh, Blue jays come pretty close to that. Uh, They're cousins, corvids. So there's a a lot of birds that no matter where you put them, I guess, if they can take the uh, weather temperatures and they can find some place for a hole up at night and survive the nights they can they can make it but again jennifer man that was a great question and i it's just amazing how the world is laid out and as i watch all the birds fly through my yard i am just so thankful that uh, they have have decided to take some time to spend here with me and i've been uh, putting out suet that's my christmas present for the woodpeckers here i have harry Harry, Downey, and Red-Bellied have all been at the suet feeder this morning, along with starlings. So the starlings find it, and I don't begrudge the starlings. Uh, they are here because we, we brought them here. Not, Say, not me, personally. <laughs> Al, I've got a, a news bulletin for you. Uh, uh, this sure. is from our reporter, John in New Ulm. Next year, the Salvation Army will be using bagpipes instead of ringing bells, so you better get your your uh, self ready. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? You know, this year they gave me sleigh bells instead of those oh. little ones. And the sleigh bells, they're, they're pretty quiet, too. Cause yeah. The other two, I bang them together, and then I <laughs> drop them all the time. And the sleigh bells, I never drop them, so I really like those. Everyone, uh, thanks for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, the weather was going through an awkward phase the other day. It snowed a little. My wife is considerably shorter than I am, so it snowed on me, but not on her. And it it made sense. The forecast had been for snow at higher elevations. Uh, speaking of higher elevation, the this is a, a flashback. The Christmas preparations were in full swing. The toilet had never been cleaner, and Mom had spent, I think, $87 on olives. Uh, we learned that unopened, jarred olives will stay fresh for up to two years. I aim to educate here. She had stocked up on her secret ingredient, butter, and we put up a new tire swing for Christmas. That may be an odd time to do that, but the planets had aligned ideally, and the perfect tire made itself available. And a tire swing... It was a tire, a rope, and a bad attitude hanging down from a giant maple tree. I know what you're thinking. It replaced a flat tire, didn't it? Well, you're mistaken. It replaced a gunny sack swing, which was a burlap bag filled with straw. We even replaced the old rope before the tire swing was put in place. The new piece of the poor man's playground equipment was like the new bull at the rodeo. It had never been ridden before. Yep, partner. Just like that bull, except for the... 
tire in the tree. <laughs> we never tired of it. Merry Christmas, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, thank you so much for your company. I never tire of it. Al, it's great to hear from you, and Merry Christmas to you and your beautiful bride, Gail. We'll, let's see, will we talk to you next week? Is next week? Yeah, I guess we will. If uh, because I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, should, I think I'm here. If not, I'll let you know. But you uh, have a great okay. rest of your day, Al. Will do. All right, bye-bye. Al Bat, our good friend from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota. So while we 